hey, Denver, if you are in tech and IT, you need to be at sea level at mile high. This event is brought to you by the Colorado Technology Association. It is Thursday, March 14th from 5 to 8.30 p.m. at Broncos Stadium at Mile High. The Colorado Technology Association puts this on. It is their largest fundraiser to support their initiatives. And it is a really cool event. I have attended several years now and have made great friendships, great business connections. And it's unique in that the CTOs and CIOs from the largest companies in Denver are celebrities and you actually bid on the opportunity to talk to them one-on-one. But beyond that, it's just a cool event in a very awesome space. So take a look at coloradotechnology.org, get signed up. And again, that is the sea level at Mile High, Thursday, March 14th from 5 to 8.30 p.m. And uh, I'll look for you there. What are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I have people skills. I am good at dealing with people. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I could do this all day. The Matt Sodnikar Podcast. Okay, welcome to the podcast. This is Matt Sodnikar. I'm sitting here with uh, my friend Paul Farnsworth, technology executive, CTO, and uh, welcome, Paul. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. Um, one of my first questions is, what exactly is a CTO, chief technology officer? And I know that means a lot of things depending on the company, but in your experience, your past, what did that mean for your existence? So... Um it means a lot of different things for different companies, just like you said. Um, I think it depends on what the company wants to project outwardly and actually a little bit inwardly. Um, and so I've had a couple of CTO roles. Um, you know, the, my most recent CTO role was really a CIO, CTO role combined. It had both the technology um, kind of vision um, but it also had all the operational side as well. Um, lots of companies, um, I come from a telecom background as well, they'll traditionally have a CTO that tends to be more inwardly focused, thinking about the way technology acts on the business um, and how you build product on top of that technology. Uh, the CIO tends to be the one who gets up in the middle of the night if things break, um, depending on the on the split of the of roles. Um, but, you know, Generally speaking, I think when you say CTO, you tend to be sending a message that it's more to do with innovation and driving business with technology and thinking about how you apply technology to a business and less the CIO role, um, you know, in, a, in an organization. So your vision on technology, how far out would you actually look 
for the business, for that transformation and that impact on the business? Um, so I, so I've said many times, actually, in, you know, you, you, you get a group of people together and you give an all hands presentation <laughs> or something. Um, you really can't, um, it's very hard to predict where the future is going to be with technology. Some stuff comes along. It looks great. Um, I've been in, in my, um, in the technology business long enough to see things that, you know, are the next best thing. And, you know, you look at it and it doesn't really pass the sniff test. And within five years, people are actively removing it again from their <laughs> infrastructure. Um, so I think what I, what I tend to talk about isn't necessarily what technology will look like. It's, it's more to do with, um, the big macro trends that I think, you know, you're aware of, everyone's kind of generally aware of. And then, um, you know, but businesses aren't necessarily applying what they see coming to how they're actually doing business. And, um, you know, you, you can see and you can feel businesses that really utilize technology and, and make that experience kind of magic and businesses that don't have a clue and you probably won't stay in business for the long term. So um, I tend to write five year plans with kind of where where I think the the you know the your future is in terms of utilizing technology. Um, I am careful about not being specific about what technology applies to that because I think it's very difficult. There's some big trends and there's definitely hot technology, but it's really difficult to say what's gonna what's gonna make it and what's not. Sure. What were your data sources? Where would you, when you're writing a five-year plan, where would you look for the information that would go in there? Yeah, so um, so there's a, I mean, the wonderful thing about the internet is you can literally find anything. The bad <laughs> thing about the internet is you can literally find anything. Um, and that can be a bit overwhelming. So, you know, I've tended to go back to... Um, a, a couple of core publications and, and I, you know, um, uh, and a couple of, um, programs at colleges, which, which, where the, where people are dedicated thinking about what are the impacts. So, um, MIT, uh, Sloan, you know, and I think I've, we've talked about CISA, the center for information systems research. Uh, that's a group that, that are dedicated to looking at the implications of technology on business and they look at trends over the over the long term they're very useful and then they have a sister publication that you subscribe to that kind of comes out and it'll show you you know what do they think that's going to be impactful in the next 10 years and they'll also talk about what where they think interesting technology is that's emerging uh, right now you know i find um as dry as it might be, The Economist, you probably can tell from my accent, I'm slightly biased towards <laughs> uh, British media, but The Economist um, at a macro uh, trend level is very helpful. And then uh, The Economist has a quarterly technology update and they tend to be fairly thoughtful. Um, and then, you know, I still subscribe to Wired. Um, you know, I, you, can get I a lot of, you can get a lot of content online. Um, and then Reddit's kind of useful if you can pick through the junk. And then uh, there's a uh, UK website called The Register, which is a terribly sarcastic view of technology. And, um, <laughs> but it does it does talk about trends. You know, what you see on there is you also see um, the. I find The Register useful because it gives you a sense of uh, which companies may be having problems. You know, lots of people present a great game story, but when you actually implement the technology, it isn't <laughs> always there. So that's helpful. 
Um, I'm trying to think what else. Then, you know, peers, comp, local conferences, all that sort of stuff mushes in together. Um, and then I, I think it's up to a, the CTO or a leader of a technology organization to pick out what you think is specific to your industry and your teams um, and apply those things, you know, without trying to, you know, do everything all at once. You've got to be a little bit tactical. Um, it's really easy to, to try and do too much. When you finished those five-year plans, were you able to assign a degree of certainty to that? I think you've kind of mentioned that it's somewhat of a crapshoot, but were you 80-20 or sort of... Yeah, it's yeah. a good question. So actually, um, my last role, I had a pre-facing slide that I would put up. Um, and essentially what it said was that the current cycle of our business planning was one to two years, um, which meant that that five-year technology plan was a little off um, in terms of actually being able to deliver to it. And then underneath that, um, you know, we would take one to two-year um, execution plans that delivered um, progress along the path. And you certainly, at a, at a big scale, you certainly can you can you can check things off. I give a great example. Um, you know, one of the big themes that is continues and, and I think will will continue is people opening up their infrastructure, allowing APIs and being able to interact with your with your tools. And that's something that you can write down in a technology strategy document and say, in five years, I want to have a completely open interface and I want to be able to to coexist and let people use my uh, technology. Um, and then there are very pragmatic, practical steps you can take along the way. Is there a site you can go to and see your APIs? Are developers using the interfaces you've built? But those tend to be um, narrowed down to a smaller, to a smaller kind of set of work that you can then deliver. Um, but stepping back, you can definitely, at a macro level, you can see you can see the changes. Um, another good example would be. Uh, lots of people write down that they want to use data and be metric driven um, in my, my experience of putting together good, solid operational metrics decks for technology organizations is it, it can be a multi-year um, uh, effort, um, but it's pretty easy to go back to January when you started and then look at the December version and see incremental progress, you know, that, that's uh, that's occurred. So was there an instance, this is like a two-part question. So was there an instance where everything that you were reading, researching, and you had a gut feel that this was going to happen and you were opposed, for lack of a better term, from people in the organization? And the other part of that, was there something that lined up and checked all those boxes and then just sort of the wings fell off and nobody saw it coming? Yeah. Um, so the first one, um, I'll go back to um, my time at British Telecom. Um, you know, I think it was clear even when I was there and actually um, perhaps a little before that, um, you know, consumers in particular, I, I dealt with um, some of the consumer oriented infrastructure there. Um, the consumers were going to want to or were starting to shift towards a more kind of um, pick and choose approach to how they want to consume service. Um, but the traditional uh, telephony model was a big monthly payment um, and it didn't really allow you to pick and choose. I mean, there were some bundled deals, but it wasn't particularly flexible. 
And we uh, proposed um, and did some prototype work on effectively what was a next generation kind of billing experience for consumers. And it would do things like, for example, um, it had a hold the mail type functionality, which is, you know, if you were going on vacation and you weren't going to consume the internet in your home, you could, you know, hold the mail on your mm. on your service and you wouldn't be charged for it because in theory you weren't consuming uh, resource. Um and, you know, it, it it was definitely on point with the general macro trends that were going. We had the technology that could uh, could provide that kind of flexibility. Um, but the inertia in the business and the risk that was inherent in making that kind of change just meant that, um, you know, we the business wasn't ready to implement the the that scale of of um, of change. So, you know, um, Having done the prototype work, we didn't invest a ton of ton of time on a big production version. But having done the prototype work, tr- proven that the technology was uh, was capable. It, you know, it just it flamed and flamed and died. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was the end of that. Um, another good example would be, um, and actually, I think this is probably. Um, you know, one of one of those trends that if you work in a larger organization. Um, you know, that is difficult. And this is something as a manager, we'll talk about being a manager in a bit, but Mm -hmm. as a manager, you kind of have to deal with a little bit is, um, you know, change in leadership and change in uh, strategy can mean that, you know, you can be executing really well. And then with a, with a tilt in, in um, either direction or vision from a leadership perspective, um, you know, it can completely change what was working really well and, and kind of derail that. So, um, you know, level three, uh, we did a lot of work on um, really putting putting sales enablement in the hands of our uh, sales teams. Um, we were kind of on the edge of uh, the first version of the iPad and what did it mean to, to really kind of build and leverage the information that you had underneath. Um and the tools were starting to get pretty mature and really, uh, you know, useful. Um, and then, um, you know, Level 3 uh, was an inquisitive company and ultimately acquired by CenturyLink. Uh, you know, the distraction and the general leadership changes that occurred during that integration period meant that we just sort of lost focus on on that platform. Um, and I suspect that you know the the investment that was made in that in those tools probably didn't really fully uh, yield the the um, results that we had hoped from that. So, when that change in leadership, is it possible for you to narrow it down to was it the difference in one person at the top versus another, or what rippled down through there? Could you? Yeah, um, my I mean, and so. It, I mean, without like, yeah. Somebody no, no. Butt, I mean, peppered through my career has been, um, you know, a lot of M and A type activity. Mm. So I've been on both the acquiring side, the acquired side. I've, you know, I've seen uh, divestitures. I've seen, uh, you know, I worked on a carve out integration uh, purchase, um, and it, it it isn't necessarily one thing. Um, you know, there's a temptation. Um, I think, you know, um, as you, you know, as you would when you acquire two large organizations and try and put them together to sort of pick maybe an interleave management, um, um, uh, management individuals in particular, 
And with that comes some inherent um, risk because uh, where you may have invested a few years in building a team and everyone knowing what the strategy is, you, you're effectively really starting again um, when you do that. And, and that creates um, management challenges that have to overcome. And I, you know, I've said this, said this many times, I'm convinced of it. Um, my experience has been that it, if you make a, an acquisition, it's kind of two years until you get back mm. to kind of a, a, a rhythm and, um, you know, the, the individuals have made their choices about whether they're staying proactively or not proactively. Sometimes they're exited, sometimes they decide not to stay. Um, you know, you, you have choices to make about what technology, what projects you have choices to make about what do you do with your existing customers on, you know, either side, it's, it's complicated. Um, so it isn't necessarily one thing that derails that. Um, there are instances though, um, you know, where, um, like in any situation, people just prefer something different and that's the end of that. (laughs) (laughs) They just prefer something different and, you know, it doesn't, there's no, no, no amount of persuasion or fantastic business cases or presentations going to, change their opinion um and then you are you as an individual have to decide am i going to be okay with that or or not so well yeah you mentioned the two years I, that makes really a whole lot of sense because if two companies merge or one's acquired i could get that sense of fear about as an individual is my job safe or is my department safe is this building safe so i could see that after that gigantic rock was thrown in the middle of the lake and the ripples have died down that yeah, that seems like a reasonable amount of time for people to calm down and realize that things have changed, but they're now fairly stable. Yeah, I mean, and you know, depending on the the the, the depth of an organization, um, you know, depending on how aggressive the the planning is up front, um, you know, it can take months and months to move down the layers of an organization, and in some cases. Um, it requires a, a, a sort of a, a targeted um, approach, which is, um, you know, if you're running a function um, and part of the business case for bringing an organization together is that you can streamline and use less people to run the same kind of business, um, you know, often those are targets which need to be, unfortunately, built on a spreadsheet and handed down into the organizations because, um, you know, it is difficult and the and the lower you get into an organization, the harder it is to manage that kind of um, transaction and activity um, because you just end up with more inexperienced people or, you know, reluctant reluctant managers who don't really want to make the the tough call. So it takes a a few years. Um, You know, I've run architecture programs at some scale and the ability to step back, catalog what you have, do the business analysis on thousands of applications. It, it can take a year just to get through, you know, that kind of activity um, while you're de- dealing with personnel changes. Um, once you get through that, um, you arrive at your conclusions. People have to then decide, are they okay and on board with the changes that have been made? Um, you end up with vendors in the mix. Um, you know, you end up with customer change in the mix. It's a, it's, it's complicated, big, big, M&A type deals um, are, are complicated. So I want to come back to that uh, manager um, concept you mentioned in just a second. But So I'm fascinated by 
the actual tools that you would use. I mean, everybody's got email and calendars and stuff, but when you're aggregating the data from MIT and Sloan, the economist, did you have any particular apps that you found functional that helped you or did you have folders and paper? What was kind of your system for keeping track of so many moving pieces? Yeah. So that's, it's a good question. Um, you know, it, it's a, it's a, again, it's a bit of a mix. Um, some of it is re- read and forget, you know, you read mm. it and, and don't worry about it. Um, you know, I found, um, you know, just maybe it's the way my brain is wired. Um, you know, you, you, if, if you, if you, if I've read something and there's the right triggers in a conversation, I, I'll end up recalling a, mm. an article it isn't always 100% accurate, um, <laughs> but the gist is there. So that's the that's the main thing. So I mean that that some of it's just read 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 and read and forget. And then um, I will tear pages out of um, out of uh, magazines and um, you know um, just to store. Um, and then you know I think like everybody keep a folder of stuff and store it in there. And then every now and again. Um, you know, you can go back through and, and look at what things are trending, what things are useful. Um, back to your your question um, a little bit ago, which is how do you know if you're making progress? I think one of the really important mm-hmm. things is um, keeping some level of consistency. So while you may have decided that this is the direction you need to go in and, you know, there is evidence that it may need um, some tweaking, I think moving and tweaking is okay. Um you, you know, I'm a little um, wary of making dramatic changes willy-nilly because I think you you risk uh, playing and not actually implementing technology, which can, can make a difference. So, um, you know, um, I think it's important just to, to keep that in mind. And then I've used other, other things in the past. Um, you know, when I moved into, uh, I moved into an office, I had a great big empty wall outside and I would pin um, things that I found interesting printed off the internet or ripped out a magazine on the wall and I hope that people would come and um, come and look and see what I was reading so you know you get a sense of kind of what I was thinking about that didn't really work to be honest because I think mm. only I could glue what what I had put up together <laughs> um, and then um, I think inspiration can come from unusual places so um there was a, a brilliant interview the other day on um, on NPR, uh, and it was uh, uh, This American Life, if you're familiar with. Oh, <clears throat> very much. Big fan. Um, and, and they were interviewing, actually, um, or maybe it was uh, Radio Lab, doesn't matter, one of those shows. And they were, trying to, they were trying to find out, they were interviewing one of the research assistants to figure out how do you find interesting stories to do? Where do you, where does the inspiration for these topics come from? Um, and what they were what they were essentially saying was, you know, you got to go to places you wouldn't normally go and look around and see things you wouldn't normally see because that's where some of that inspiration comes from. So, you know, I will um, every now and again make a concerted effort to go to a store or go to a, a place I wouldn't normally go and try and just absorb what I can absorb because I think there's a lot of things that um, technology which happens outside of the direct industry that you might be in that you can draw inspiration from. So, you know, um, 
And that's been pretty helpful too. And then the last thing I say I think that's helpful is um, as I've managed larger organizations, um, the the rhythm of having to present or at least write down what your thoughts are forces you to, because to, it'd be easy to, to be, a, you know, kind of a furry head, crazy person with stacks of paper and ideas all <laughs> over the place. Um, but the, but the act of actually getting up in front of a group of people or having to present what your ideas with kind of helps you narrow down from lots of different options into something that's useful. Mm-hmm. And then I think, um, you know, I, I think you've got to be, like I said, you've got to be pragmatic about what is a macro trend you want people to think about that's happening for, for a longer period. And then, you know, what really makes a difference? Like, um, can I change my DR technology because I can get rid of physical infrastructure and save a lot of money and get faster recovery if, if needed? Um, which may not be um, particularly exciting, but it's part com- comes along, I think, with managing a technology organization. Mm-hmm. Well, let's go back to the, the manager discussion that you had alluded to earlier. And what <clears throat> I always draw a bright line between somebody that's a manager and somebody that's a leader. To me, a manager in, in, in a negative connotation is focused more on like the low level details, like what time do you get to your desk? What time do you leave? This, that, and the other, whereas a leader is more focused on, on that. But it sounded like you had um, a concept you wanted to talk about with respect to manager. And that's what I'd like to yeah. get back to. Um, so I think you asked about what, what, what does a CTO do? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to broaden, I'm going to broaden the definition um, of a CTO a little bit. Um, so I think that there's, there's the technology part of the ownership of a CTO. Um, you know, I'm going to I'm going to assume for the sake of this conversation that um, you know a CTO is someone who is also managing people as well. There are CTOs um, in organisations that really are individual contributors, and their their role primarily is around driving innovation. In but um, for the for the purpose of this, I'm going to assume that um, this is a this is an individual or a manager with an organisation. So, you know, a CTO isn't just uh, about technology. You have to also manage the, the people side of that. And depending on how large your organization is, you're exactly right. Um, you know, you, you are either a leader of leaders and you have individuals that work inside your organization. And there is a difference between um, that individual contributor role, a manager role and a leader Um and you have to spend time tailoring uh, your message and actually getting things done with that, with the with the group um, and the team. And you know, certainly within your remit as a manager, to um, to take a look at the the staff you have and decide they're not the right ones and make changes if needed. But I also believe that um, some of your responsibility as a as a leader or a manager is to grow the individuals that you know you get in there and I had an old boss um who summed this up I think pretty well which is um you know leaders should be working on the business not in the business and you know that's something that um it's easy in the fray of an outage or a big impactful event in your organization to get sucked into spending a day in the trenches working on what the problem is um 
But, you know, part of being that leader is stepping back and saying, how do I improve the processes so that I don't have to get sucked into the <laughs> into the mess? Um, so in my, um, you know, in my career, not just as a technologist, but also as a as a manager, um, I think you get drawn to a point, depending on the organization and the size, where you frankly spend almost more um, time managing the people side than you do the technology side. And I think um, at some point, you know, you're, while I can easily sit there and read a ton of stuff, the y- you have the opportunity to leverage all of the brains that you have in your organization. Um, you know, I don't think this is something where inspiration comes from the top. I think te- good, healthy technology organizations, um, you know, it's the people fiddling with a piece of software that you've never heard of that are getting excited that you go ask, what are you using that for? That you can then apply uh, your leadership position to stretch that out if it's going to work to the rest of the organization. Um, so, um, you know, one of the roles I think, and this is in, in you know, all, all managers and leaders um, end up wanting to develop their people. Um, uh, and you're either going to do that through the support of your organization if they're there um, or you're going to have to do it yourself. So my last role, I built my own um, uh, training curriculum basically because I was getting frustrated with our lack of ability to you know, really apply resource to help um, my team. Um, and I don't think you have to be um, particularly tailored um, in some cases around what level you're teaching. I think that there's skills which are useful to know broadly because it provides context up and down the organization. Um, but I, I I say that knowing that, um, you know, you, you, you may teach some skills which frankly aren't part of people's everyday jobs if they're an individual contributor. But um, I'd rather have you knowing more than less, I think, contributing to, in an organization. Sure. Uh, I want to get back to that training curriculum for a second, but what I picked up on was uh, a lack of ego. It seemed like you would embrace an idea that came from anywhere. And when you talked about that individual contributor, and let's say it's just a a junior engineer, if they were excited about something, you didn't have mental barriers as far as where that idea came from which then I think would ripple and allow people to be like, oh, I'm being listened to. And it maybe not got all the way implemented or part of any grand uh, strategy, but at least people felt like, hey, I could come up with something and at least it would be heard. Yeah. um, So I think uh, you're absolutely right. It's, It's very easy. So... I've been a technology leader, um, you know, sitting between the business and technology for long enough also that, um, you know, there was a period where command and control was part of the remit of a CIO, which is if it's not on the official software list, you can't use it. Mm. Um, and there were great reasons for that, right? Um, you know, when I started my career, just getting a, uh, a, a, a network uh, stack to bind to your PC was an art in amongst itself. And you didn't want anyone messing around with that, right? Because <laughs> you'd have to send someone to the desk with a bunch of floppy disks and it would take two hours to, to fix what they'd been messing around with. Um, but I think 
over the course of the last um, 15, 20 years, of course, and driven and accelerated by, you know, SaaS software. And, um, you know, there's this sort of balance between what firewalls will let through and the technology that people tweak to allow more to seep across the top, particularly HTTP um, and some of the empowerment there means that um, you, you do have to remain open-minded because the business will go and solve problems um, without necessarily the technology people involved. And that's okay. You can't be too defensive. And I think that pattern has to fall, fall back into the whole organization so that you're not being defensive about um, you know, what tools people use. Now, that being said, um, you know, to be a good coordinated organization does mean that, you, you, you know, that there are often standards that need to be followed and that people need to at least play by more or less the same rules. <laughs> um, but that, you know, but, but creativity can occur from, from the lower levels of the organization. And my experience there is um, it's not actually the creativity and people going to find tools that's the barrier for that. It's actually a lack of experience in the more junior members of the team about how you propose that solution um, and what the impact is. And, you know, it, it, again, um, one of the things that Google was renowned for was this 80%, 20%, you know, 20% you get to play with your own projects or whatever you, you do there. Most organizations don't have the... Um, the resources to be able to invest that kind of time on, you know, effectively projects that might not come to stuff. Um, but um, my experience is that companies want to experiment on the side um, and it's it's inherent in a technology leader to be able to identify, are you messing around and you shouldn't be? Is this something <laughs> which actually could be of real value to the organization? How do I coach an individual to, to tease out the skills required to wrap that innovation up and, and post it out. Um, and then um, how do I, or is it something that um, genuinely is in a completely different category and needs to be put either in, in, an, in an innovation program or, or move to the side? Um, you know, one of my um, other loves is, is, uh, is um, economics. I would classify myself as a, as a closet amateur uh, economist. Um, and one of the interesting things there is that um, when you think about the way money flows into invest in companies and organizations, um, as an investor, if you invest in an orange company, um, you really need the orange company to just concentrate on selling oranges. Because as an investor, I may have diversified my, um, my investments to, to, be, to have money in an orange company and money in an Apple company. And if the orange company decides to wake up in the morning and go, we're going to start selling apples, that might be inherently good for the management team, but may not be in the best interest of the investor because the investor is already um, diversified. And I think that portfolio thinking um, can run all the way down to the lower levels of an organization, particularly with technology that's so accessible. Might be cool, might be good, may not be what we is part of our core mission. So... Sure. What was in the curriculum that you had designed? Because it sounded like you saw, at least within the organization, a need for specialized was it training. Is that what it is? But yeah. What What was on the what Was on the course? Yeah. So, um, so effectively, and I brought my little folder here. I know you can't see this, um, 
But, uh, you know, I, I actually decided um, that I would step, I would step out of my, I take my employee hat off um, and try and create something which was a, a little bit more akin to um, a, a mentor than a, than a, than a, a manager inside mm-hmm. the company. Um, and I've had a couple of experiences where, um, you know, I think level three had a, a really good mature mentor program. And, you know, I, I was lucky enough to, to, to benefit from the training to be a mentor. So I got some structure from, from there. Um, and then the other thing I recognize is that, um, just from a personal basis, there are things that you, you, you need to bring at work that help organizations deliver. And, you know, we're a technology, I'm technology focused. So to deliver technology, but there are things that you need to, uh, handle in your personal life as well, because people aren't just people at work. They're people outside of work too. They're people, people, mm-hmm. um, so I actually broke the, the 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 content that I had developed up into two chunks, and one was life, and one was work. And we did the life first, and then we did the work um, second. And effectively, there were f- four chunks of each, and I'll run through them real quick. Um, the first life one was decision making, um, primarily because whatever you do, people make a million decisions a day. Um, some are unconscious, some are conscious, um, but the more complex the decision, the worse people genuinely are making the decisions. <laughs> and, um, and this isn't just a personal decision. This is also, this can be driven in how do businesses make decisions, right? I mean, you make decisions all the time. So, uh, we covered decisions, then we covered, um, relationships. And I took that out of the work side and put it into the, into the life side, because I think relationships, cross easily between work and life and there's a whole blurring in there and we covered things like negotiating and you know the how to win friends and influence people Mm -hmm. some of the basic hygiene stuff there um we covered money and goals um like i said i'm a closet economist so um you know we covered some some rough structure in there around um how decision making and goals are intertwined in people's personal lives with money and you know just again putting some structure in in there and then um finished on personal growth because i think if you've got structure around decision making and you've got structure around goals um you know personal growth is something where lots of people make new year's resolutions and then you know don't actually necessarily see them through and my philosophy on personal growth um uh, and goals is um you know it, it it's very easy to try and do too much. It's actually a lot harder to simplify down and pick a couple of things to really focus on. So uh, we covered that. And then on the work side, um, basic communication. So improving the way you write, improving the way you communicate. Um, you know, again, I, my experience is people tend to want to write more than is actually necessary. And it's a, it's an art to, to simplify. Um, then we talked about um, some basic business finance and business savvy. Um, you know, I think, um, and I've had the, I've been lucky in my career. I've worked for for small companies and that have been in in accelerated growth mode, and it's given me the opportunity to work from every part of the company. So I've got some conceptual idea of 
of how the bits c- c- combine together. And then having founded and run a couple of companies, you know, I'm, I've got a sense of kind of what the, why um, being clear about capital and the way money interacts in a business is important too. And some people don't, they lack that sophistication. Um, and then we covered first impressions and style. And then um, the final one, back to the theme I've been talking about, which is really is tying everything together, which is how to present ideas. Because, um, you know, I think I've I've had a lot of um, conversations with frustrated employees who have brilliant ideas but can't get traction behind them. Um, and it's often to do with the context of the way they're presenting it, not the not the actual idea. Yeah, so that was my curriculum I threw together. That's that's fascinating to me on so many levels and impressive because um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're you're running a technology organization, and you're also writing a almost a professional development for your people to make them better as people. Yeah. Now I will say um, you're absolutely right. Um, I had one small benefit though when I when I when I put this material together, which was. Um, you know the 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 company I was the CTO in, um, we were wholly owned by a, a larger company, and I was in the midst of uh, transitioning my organisation out into a shared services organisation. So um, you're absolutely right. D- taking the time to write this was was a culmination of material that I have collected over the years. Um, you know, I have a folder on my computer that says uh, leadership presentations, and in there is like giant collection of stuff that I've brought Mm -hmm. together from from all hands meetings and just general inspiration um the effort to pull it together into a into a a uniform deck I was afforded a little extra time because I was busy actually moving some of my core functions off to my parent company um which meant that I uh, wasn't dealing with outages at the time and um, a bunch (laughs) of other stuff so I was lucky I was lucky yeah right yeah yeah, but it, it speaks volumes, I think, to the way that you—I um, would say your personality, for lack of a better term—is that you're not so focused on the technology, and that you do care about people. And it was more of a natural extension, I think, of your your mindset as a as a mentor, as a leader, as a you know, wanting to get the best out of your people. Yeah, and you know, you were handed this and said, Paul make a, a training manual no no no, is... no no that's right i i i made it um and I, I, it's easy to say i did it for the greater good and let's let's be generous and say 70 percent of it was for the greater good honestly <laughs> 30 30 percent was uh totally self-centered which is you know if if you know i've been in roles where i'm the, i'm a leader of leaders so the people that work for me run largest organizations themselves um you know, and I spend time coaching them um, because I I want material and I want um, work product from them, which is ready for me to present up the, you know, the food chain. Um, and in some cases, uh, you know, you end up with a couple of individuals who are awesome. They, you know, the, the amount of re- uh, tweaking that's required is relatively little. Um, and in some cases, you end up with people who, you, you invest, you know, a ton of time with to get the work product that you need out of them. So um, you, you're absolutely right. It is about recognizing that 
people are doing the actual work and I may be leading the organization um, and, and, and applying a strategy which has the impact required by the business. But some of it also, frankly, is, you know, so that I don't have to redo people's work. Work smarter, smarter, not harder. Work smarter, not harder. And I also believe the less distracted you are inside your job, the the more focused you can be. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you work with colleagues and I've had uh, colleagues and, and people in my organization who bring a certain level of um, personal drama into the workplace and it's, distract- <laughs> it's distracting. It's and so- I'm not saying that there isn't a place for support oh. inside an organization, but that's not where energy needs to be spent at work. So, Well, and that, that particular message, I spent uh, two and a half years as a facilitator salesperson for professional development and going into organizations that were everything from oil and gas companies to medical facilities to a super value grocery store in Minnesota. And just they couldn't communicate they just couldn't talk to each other and and a lot of the discussions we've had here in the office are around culture and communication like you can have the best technology ideas in the world but if people are infighting or they're insecure or things like that it's it's not gonna work no and there's lots of books written about the importance of team and culture um you know and that does culture outweigh strategy and you know if you can can you have a team that's got too many smart people on it um you know and um it's a balance but i completely agree and that i'm sure you experienced this that 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 level of um of focus and the need for teamwork isn't it's not that's a need that goes from the bottom of the organization um right the way to the top, um, you know, C-level teams can be um, as dysfunctional and, th- and that really has a ripple effect. It's the shadow of a leader, um, you know, the, the impact um, on the rest of the organization that that is actually, it gets worse as it gets higher, um, I think, in my opinion. I remember a specific example. I was brought in to do a, a communication conflict resolution, personal accountability training. And there was one person, and you had mentioned that learning how to present ideas effectively. And this person was renowned in this company for having brilliant ideas that were mind-blowing and sometimes not a a fit maybe at the time, but the person was um, challenging to communicate with. Just the smartest person in the room and it kind of pegged the needle that he knew it <laughs> yep. and wielded it like a hammer or shut down completely. And part of it was talking about, and, and I remember having discussions about, you mentioned personal appearance and things like that. It's like, look, you can still be the eccentric programmer and the ponytail and the, the sandals and all that, but it matters what you look like. I'm saying not, and I remember... This was a very, very delicate conversation to have with this person, but saying, if you're going in front of the board to present this idea, you know, perhaps the cargo shorts and the t-shirt are not the best thing because you're, you're going to be judged and you have to recognize that that's going to happen. 
Yeah, and I think um, it, it, it back to decision making. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's fine to wear cargo shorts and and do that, but you're but you have to be aware that that decision there are implications to the decision that you're making, right? And and it's it and it has to be reflected in the culture of the organization that you're in, um, because. You know, you can be too smart. You can be too casual. I mean, you got to be you got to be a little bit aware, um, you know, and I think um, the ability for people to to kind of be a little bit more open, sort of wise eyes wide open about the impact that they have. And in fact, when you get into the uh, content for, for the first impressions and style, um it isn't just about what you wear. Funnily enough, we, the first section of that is. You know, it's a picture of uh, um, an individual that looks like they are homeless. And, uh, you know, I'm asking you to say, what does this, what do you think this person does? And it's unlikely that they are the CEO of a major corporation. Um, but the, but the, the, other, the other examples ripple down from there. It's things like, how do you keep your desk? What do you bring to a meeting? I mean, are you with a scrap of paper and a pen that you're borrowing off your colleague or are you organized, <laughs> right? It, it's all this subconscious stuff that people, um, that you don't necessarily completely take for granted, but you, but you know, d- d- does make a difference. And like I said, it's, it's just context, right? There are, I've been in businesses where everyone has scraps of paper and wears flip-flops to work and it doesn't matter, right? Um, but there are definitely cultures where, and organizations where you you have to be a lot more careful. I think what's fascinating for me is, um, you know, I've been lucky. I've got to work across a number of different countries and, um, you know, the, the sensitivity that's applied by people that have been and worked across a number of different cultures, um, you know, it is something that you you know you can definitely tell um, that there's that there is an uh, conscious effort um, to match the culture of the people that you're interacting with, and not necessarily just come as you are. There's a bit of a come as you are attitude, and <laughs> that doesn't always work um, around the world. You, you you know, there's definitely cultures where. Um, there's an expectation that you are going to be respectful of the situation that you find yourself in. And I think that translates to a lot in lots of ways to exactly what you, what you said. Well, I think it's an amazing balance between your technical mind, your your economic mind and your, your people uh, develop. I don't want to say people management, but your people development mind. It's you cover a lot of circles in that Venn diagram. You're not just a, a geek for lack of a better term yeah. that knows technology. And it's, it's fascinating to, to see the the logical and the emotional balanced out in, you know, what you're, what you're doing. Yeah. I, I um, I, I think, you know, if, um, for, for self reflection sake, um, you know, I, I actually need to continue to work on the, on the, um, on, on, um, Making sure that that um, let me re- let me try and rephrase this. I, I think that my assumption is that people tend to think like me, um, and I I have to make a conscious effort to make sure that I'm not just assuming that you're going to look at the world from an economist, people, and a technology perspective, <laughs> um, and that you know 
you know, that I have some, some, you know, good, good example is, uh, should you comfort someone that didn't win the lottery? Um, you know, the, the economist <laughs> in me says, absolutely not, because the, the, the plain, simple facts are that the odds are so stacked against you that you shouldn't, you shouldn't have even expected to win. Um, the people side of me says that, you know, even though I know on an economic, on a, a mathematical basis that there was no chance of winning, people genuinely still get upset they didn't win the lottery, right? Because they're they're pinning dreams to it, um, and I, you know, I I try and work on making sure that I've I have the right balance of that um, because it's easy to, um, you know, and I've had um, I. I like the fact that, you know, in larger organizations, I'll have junior members of the team come into my office and sit and talk to me and um, they'll get frustrated about lack of career progress or their boss doesn't listen to them or whatever it happens to be. And it's it's an effort not to jump to, well, this is why you should fix this. <laughs> you know, it's what are you talking about? It's obvious that wasn't going to work. I mean, and so I I have to work on making sure that I'm, supporting people's position emotionally and not just like jumping to the hard cold facts <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a tricky one <laughs> well here's your problem see <laughs> that's right here's your problem yes yeah there has to be a little bit of uh, showing them the road and then driving them down the road there's a big difference yes um and i'm not you know i'm not a combative um, I'm not a combative person. I would rather negotiate and, um, and convert than, than fight. I mean, cause I, I think that the energy required to fight sometimes, I'm not saying that there isn't times when that's required. Um, but my, my, my experience is, is that if you bring teams along with you, you get the, you get, just get a better outcome. Sure. Yeah. And I'm pointing to your uh, training man. Is, does it have an official title for the curriculum? No, uh, we. I no, not really. I mean, I called it the um, our summer leadership sessions because my intention was to run it over the summer. Um, you know, I I think um, no, not really. I mean, it could be it could be anything. And you know, I, I I'm I like the time I invest in this because it's something that I think you can you can pick at you don't need to have a single single set and what's interesting about this material is um i try to take so if if for for the people that have worked for me you know the weekly one-on-ones and all the rest of it um for a long time i've tried to divide those up into kind of the tactical this is what we need to get done for work perspective and a more philosophical whole person conversation around what are your goals and how have you laid this out and what are you doing about it? Um, because I think, um, you know, that there's some, there, there is a balance between how much do you share with your boss um, as an employee? And, you know, that there's, there's definitely some, some balance there. Um, but I also think that if you have an individual that, won't tell you what's going on and they're fundamentally disgruntled. It, it's not healthy for the team and it doesn't help you deliver the work that you need to get done as well. So having a, a more open conversation around what's going on is super helpful. And some of the essence of this material was, was things I would want to coach 
my team to do, but broaden to the to a broader organization so that, um, you know, because I'm pretty sure, uh, as with any organization, you know, you, you, you tell individuals one on one something and it gets repeated and sometimes it doesn't always make it down to the bottom <laughs> quite how, how you had intended. Somebody always doesn't get the message. That's right. I mean, I, I remember a, a fantastic example of this is, um, uh, and there's many examples of this, but, you know, I was on a conference call once and um, it was just just post, uh, um, you know, bringing two big teams together and there's lots of uh, rumors around what offices are going to be there. And, you know, I think I had... Um, uh, you know, my boss's boss there and my boss's boss happened to make a joke about not liking a city. And as far as that, oh, as far geez. as they were concerned, that <laughs> meant that, that we were shutting the office in that city down. I mean, and so as ridiculous as it is, and, and it wasn't meant in that way, you know, I worked close enough with this individual that I knew it was said in humor, but, you know, you, you end up with these larger calls and <laughs> it was totally misinterpreted. So, um Helping get that down, uh, you know, as 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 you intend is also important. <laughs> yeah, travels like wildfire. It does. That's right. Yeah. I mean, do you have um, larger plans for this? Uh, I'd just call it a training manual, for lack of a better term. I could see it, and and not wanting to plan your career path, I see this as a as a book. I could see you on stage doing corporate. Yeah. Do you have dreams and goals for this? Uh, you know. Um, I like delivering this content. Um, I, I don't, I think it's, I don't necessarily see it as a, it could be a book and it could be a, it could be a set of material. Um, the challenge with the content here for, for, uh, for presentation purposes is that it, there's a lot. I mean, you know, this was originally, um, I think it was like six hours of content, maybe hmm. a little less. Um, and it, it just didn't work out like that. It was like nine or 10 hours in the end, um, which was good because you end up with interaction and digging a little bit deeper into some topics. Um, the way I think about this primarily is it's a good, it's a, it's a good way of me collecting 15 years of worth of thoughts and material into a concise package um, that is reusable in you know in whatever my next um, adventure might be um i think some of the challenge with selling this if if without putting it into a book of some description is that um it's really it's really hard to know i mean you what well, just so, so that you know what we're looking at i've got this um folder here that's that's full of pages of printed content um you know, I can see the title, but you, you don't really know what's in there. So selling selling this as a concept out to people to train their teams, um, you know, and then the other piece is, um, which, you know, I got to find a path for is there's a lot of things in here which are particular to my sensitivities and what I believe are important in an organization and as a leader. Um, and you'd have to kind of buy into some of the philosophy of that as well. Um, you know, a good example is uh, we spend time in here talking about, um, you know, uh, basic communications. And um, I definitely have some opinions about what the way to structure and be concise about the way you communicate. And I certainly have worked for people um, who just don't really care about that stuff. Right. I mean, they, they don't they don't view it as important as as I might do. And, you know, so 
I think there might be some gen- genericizing, but yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. It's, hmm. I'm rambling now, but that's, yeah. Well, but on your next adventure, you're bringing that in and to just reinforce this point again, you're bringing the, the technological, the vision, the economical, e- economist side of that. But this is also, if you capture 80% of the people in this new organization, you're going to improve them, better decisions, better communication. That's that's a pretty powerful statement on what you bring to the table, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, um, you know, in some organizations, don't get me wrong, the, the larger the organization, the more structure there already is in place, right? Um, but my experience is that... Um, you tend to have executive training um, at the top, you know, um, and they and it's sporadic and it's usually born out of some crisis, but we'll, we'll deal with that. And then um, <laughs> there's there's working training at the bottom, which tends to be we're putting in a new process or we're putting new software in or you're new on the role and we're going to do vocational training for you to, to get up to speed. But the management tier in the middle tends to get a little bit less focus around soft skills and in organizations where there's been organic growth um and this is you know absolutely what organizations should be striving for which is to take strong individual contributors who know the business at the bottom and and bring them up through the leadership ranks because they're the ones that really have a grasp of you know where all the strings to pull are um you know that middle management layer tends to be the ones that um, have grown organically that lack structure and training. And that's kind of what that, what this is for. Um, like I said, large organizations sometimes have good, good programs in place. Um, you know, I think as part of the gig economy and as part of, um, as employment, um, trends shift from joining a company and spending 30 years there, um, you know, both employees and employers are going to have to figure out how do they continue to train people um, in a way that's relevant. Um, because I don't think the days are gone where, you know, you, you well, I certainly haven't worked in an organization where you arrive and after four years, you get sent on a training course to do this and you get moved between department and you, you know, you, you, you know, the kind of stuff mm-hmm. I'm talking about. Um, yeah. So I think, I, I think this is probably m- m- more how it's going to be. So a uh, bit of a departure, a question, what has been your greatest, um, what, what are you most proud of as an accomplishment? And and I want to qualify that a little bit. It doesn't need to be the biggest success. And when I say proud, it could be the, the biggest challenge you've overcome. It doesn't need to be, um, executed that was a smashing home run but what is something when you look back on your career that you look back and go man that that tested me so many different ways and that's like that that's what i would put on you know my my you know billboard or for whatever you know yeah um does that make sense yeah no no, no, i i know exactly what you mean and um you know i think everyone has either work product or a period that is particularly challenging. Um, you know, I don't think there's one, there's one, there's one standout thing. Um, you know, I think there's, there's a couple of themes. Um, you know, I would say not without naming the particular project or the companies, but, um, 
you know, I was involved in a, a major um, process redesign um, that involved a very complicated ecosystem of platforms and systems. Um, and it was under unreasonable time constraints um, and it was probably under-resourced. Um, and I think the the ability to keep um, a a team around you motivated to drive through the amount of change that you have to push through, um, you know, is is particularly satisfying and 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 pleasing. And it's that balance of driving the teams to hard deadlines and trying to find a path to make it slightly enjoyable, um, you know, because sometimes work isn't that much fun. You, you know, you've got to kind mm-hmm. of knuckle down a bit. Um, but that said, you know, there should be space for, for, for some level of humor and enjoyment in, a, in, a, in, in the work you do, because the majority of us spend more time at work than we do, you know, at home. So you've got to find some of that balance, I think. Um, and then I think the other, the other, um, the other thing that I found um, satisfying is um, there's been a couple of um, businesses that I've worked in um, where, you know, back to the, the original question, which around strategy is you put a strategy in place, um, you, you, you understand that there's a long arc on that strategy and that that arc is probably going to be buffeted by management changes and budget constraints and everything else people um but but the ability to step back over the course of a decade five years or a decade and see a program or a strategy with enough inertia to continue without you is also pretty pretty satisfying um because i think it while there's a sense that people want to to do things very fast um, sometimes, you, you know, putting in the right structure and having the right plan means that you end up with that longevity. It's not, you know, it's like, it's like, um, not to sound trite, but you know, it's like building a building with good foundations, right? You, you have to spend some time building the foundations and you may not see a building. Um, but once the building's complete, it's likely to stand longer if you've actually done the work. So I think those are the two, I think helping teams, um, you know, basically through challenging programs and projects and then and then seeing strategy that gets put in place that has enough structure and foundation to keep going without you is pretty satisfying. How many people would you say typically reported to you? Like when you were a CTO, like how many people would roll up that were your responsibility? Yeah, um, it, it depends. So... Um, I generally think that, you know, six to seven people is probably about what you want enough. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are organizations that want to see span of controls increase. Um, I think the challenge with, um, you know, this is one of those organization structure challenges, which no one's really nailed. It's cultural and budget related and all the rest of it. Uh, the more direct you have, the more time you spend managing them, the less time you have to lead them. Um, you know, so I, I think uh, generally six to seven is probably around, around the sweet spot. Um, I think that in um, matrix organizations, I had a couple of roles where 
Um, you're effectively the CIO or CTO of a, of a business unit. Um, you, you can end up with a little more people, but the challenge then becomes not just managing your directs, it's the matrix relationship because now you've got to manage the security people and the mm. run people and you've got to, there's an architecture team somewhere and a product team that you've got to deal with and the project management group somewhere different and there's a peer there. Um, you know, I had a boss once who had, um, for a fairly extended period of time, about 22 direct reports and frankly, it just, it did not work. It, you know, it, it was, it was like, uh, one of those plate spinners, you know, that spins the plates on the stage. <laughs> as right. soon as you get to spin the last plate, you're back to spinning the the first one again to keep it going. So um, six, I think six to seven for me um, in the cultural organizations I've been in is about right. Um, again, this is what separates, I think, that leadership and management layer. As you get down farther, you could increase the span of control. Um, you know, an individual contributor group with a manager, depending on the role, could be a lot bigger. I was trying to do the math in my head of 22 reports if you had 15-minute one-on-ones, if you had enough time in a week to actually do that. So this this individual <laughs> I work for was is uh, is is a fantastic person, and uh, but he decided um, because he was frustrated with a lack of coordination across the team that everyone should copy everybody on everyone's emails. Just to just, you can think about that for a second. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was an interesting experiment. <laughs> so what would the first 30 days of a CTO look like? You come into an organization, you go through the interview process, there's a fit, you accept the offer. What's your first 30 days going to look like yeah i mean so the good news is there's 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 enough structure around 30 60 90 day plans you can kind of pull some of that out um you know generally speaking i think there's depending on the the reason you got hired so one of the things that you would want to strive to do during the course of the interview process is figure out what what is the burning what's the trigger for bringing someone in right is it Lack of technology innovation? Is it the systems don't stay up? Is it I can't stand talking to the people that run the technology organization? What what are the reasons? Um, and I think that you you kind of balance your your approach based on what what those needs are. Um, from a hygiene perspective, you know that there's genuinely going to be some things that you probably want to do, which is look at the team, get an organization chart, some description. And, you know, amazingly, some companies just don't have that written down. So you want to figure out what does that look like? Um, you know, I, I, I think it's important for me personally. Um, I think it's important to spend the time to try and dig and review whatever strategy documents might be already in place. Um, because, you know, as a, as someone that's been on the other side of this, it's incredibly disheartening to work on, strategy and just have someone come in and essentially just sort of tear it up in front of you and drop it into the waste paper basket <laughs> look at you and go now i'm in charge um, so I, I think uh you you've got to you've got to invest some time in looking at what's there because you know like i said sometimes there's great ideas it's just a lack of presentation that's caused uh caused challenges um you, you know, it, depending if it's an operational role too, um, you know, you, you, you are going to spend time looking at your, um, 
looking at your, you know, is there operating metrics, is there instant response stuff, you know, if you're if you're a CTIO or a CIO. Um, and then if you're a product type of CTO, um, you probably need to talk to customers and figure out what product roadmaps look like. Um, and then um, generally speaking, you're brought in as part of a team and there's a period where you have to go talk to your other team members and they'll tell you, all the things that the last person didn't deliver for them that they really need. <laughs> and there'll probably be a giant list that's conflicting with everybody else. And then you're going to have to figure out how do you wheedle through all that to, to, to show, you know, some early wins and traction. Um, and then, you know, after you've, I don't think it's something where at the end of 30 days you come up with a plan. I think that's a, let's say 90 days to be generous, you've formed an opinion and you've got a strategy in and then um, you're going to go from there. And I've had organizations where the people part of it has moved pretty fast. And then I've had, um, I've been involved in organizations where the people part of it is, uh, you know, can, can take longer. And, um, you know, I think there is a, there's a couple of core things. One is having gathered all this input it's really hard to make traction with the wrong people. Um, and it's really hard to make traction if you haven't communicated the direction everyone's rowing in um, and you've got the wrong people. So I, you know, you've got to find a balance to get to get those things done. Um, yeah, I think that's probably about it. That was a bit wishy, wishy-washy, no, but you get the general gist. So. Yeah, it ties back into sort of your just development philosophy of the people. I mean, you just can't come in and go, we were going this way, we're taking a hard right, it's it's simply not going to work. You could steer it, but you just can't grab the wheel and, <laughs> hey, we're going this way. You, you can't. You, you can't. I mean, I think, um, not to, not to flip-flop on this issue, but, um, you know, I do think, though, however, um, you know, I worked on a project where the one of the team's that was required to deliver some components as part of a big end-to-end technology solution uh, didn't. Um, and we did go into that group and say, when just not doing it how you've been doing it, this is what we're doing. Um, and um, within two weeks, I don't think there was a single member of the team left. But we, we knew when we went in that that approach was going to yield a complete um, turnover of the of the team and it came with some risk but at that point um, it, you know we were willing to to do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah have you ever turned down a role got through the interview process and then just your gut feeling said this is there's I'm not the right fit there's no way this, this is going to work yeah I I um, I definitely have passed on um you know, look, I'm actively looking for a new role. So, you know, I've, I, I've, I've, I've screened out roles that, um, you know, either talking to the recruiter or doing some research on the company. Just I, I don't have a sense that it's going to be a good fit for me. Um, yeah, f- for sure. I've never I haven't ever got through an interview process and sort of said, um, yeah, I, this just isn't going to work for me. Um, <laughs> generally, because um you know, back to <laughs> talking at my my content here. Uh, back to my content. I think um, you know, like great program managers or or planners, 
um, with enough care, you shouldn't, there shouldn't be surprises, right? You shouldn't get to the end of the interview process and then, and then, and then find that the compensation offer is way off what you're expecting. Mm -hmm. Um, because frankly, that's something that you should be managing right from the get go so that there isn't surprises. And I think the same goes with the culture and the kind of role, um, you know, it's, it's, um, I take it as a sign of, of poor planning on my part to, to get to that position. (laughs) Yeah. What, uh, speaking of the next adventure, what would that, you know, magic wand time, what would that look like for you? If you were going to craft that, what would you want to do? I, you know, I'm pretty open. I've had roles in big companies and small companies. I, I think, um, you know, as I get, um, you know, uh, further in my career, you know, I, 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 I have, um, I need to find a, a, a role which has, which allows me to have a meaningful impact on it, um, and work with people that I, um, respect, um, and, you know, and, and can learn something from and like working with. I think that's the, I think those are the two things, um, you know, but small companies can be just as challenging, different skill set from a large company and large companies can be, um, you know, they can be just as challenging. They just, it's just, it's, it's different. So I, I think more than a handcrafted role, I think it's got to be something where, you know, like I said, you know, I can have a meaningful impact. Um, and I'm working with people that, you know, I like to work with. I think those are the two things. <laughs> the rest of it would work out. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think it does. I worked for a guy once who believed he he never his philosophy was he never asked for compensation. He just took the role and whatever whatever they wanted to offer him, that's what he hmm. that's what he took, and it seemed to work out pretty well for him. So he just stuck with the I want to do this kind of work, and the rest will follow. And it seemed to work, so not quite that brave. But yeah. Yeah. it sounds like he had a really good sense of uh, identity and values and what made his life worthwhile. He did. He he. This particular individual was also somebody who, um, yeah, had a had a strong voice, and you know, and I think part of that you know, that there is some inherent risk in that, which is, you know, if you have a strong voice, you, 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 there is, you can end up polarizing people, right? Some people really love you. Sure. Some people fundamentally disagree with you. Um, you know, I think that's okay. Um, to, 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 to do that. He, he was someone who had a much more spiritual side. So I, you know, think he genuinely had a sense that, um, you know, of karma and universe and, you know, some things which the economist in me um, and the capitalist don't want to necessarily <laughs> completely, completely believe and buy into. But the human people side of me is fighting to say that's OK. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. This has been uh, very, very fascinating and um, digging into your um, I'll just call it employee operating manual has been really cool. I'd love to take a look at that in more detail, but it's been great, Paul. Anytime. Thank you. Yep. Thanks, Matt. Yeah. I'll uh, post links to your uh, LinkedIn page and hopefully, you know, the next chapter is quick down the road. Yep. We'll see. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Paul. 
tech episodes of this podcast are now supported by Furos.io. That is F-U-R-O-S.io. Furos is a Denver cloud consulting firm. And chances are, if there's a big building in downtown Denver with their logo on the outside of it, Furos has got people in there doing some very interesting work that has an impact on those businesses. They focus on AWS, cloud consulting, and their mantra is simple. Hire the best people they can, pay them really well, and let them work on challenging, interesting projects that have impacts on the business. So if you are struggling with the cloud, and I know that's a really overused word in the tech space, and projects aren't getting done, and you need some help, look them up, furos.io. That is F-U-R-O-S dot I-O.